Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 84 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 84, Scott and I will talk briefly about the district meet that was, uh, the PNW district meet number three from just this last weekend. And then we're going to be talking about some quiz question scenarios and situations, things that came out of questions that either Scott or I marked uh, within CBQZ as a result of district meet number three, mostly just some interesting ideas uh, that are that are kind of pulling out of those marked questions and some theories behind those things. We uh, had some really awesome conversations with a few folks in the uh, Slack channel for Inside Quizzing, uh, and so we wanted to actually talk or 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 not talk about, but but essentially. Uh, echo some of the conversations uh, or the summaries of some of the conversations that we had about quizzing heresies. Uh, I think that'll be uh, pretty cool. And um, we've got a few other theories and ideas and thoughts that we want to share as well, if time permits. So with that, let's kind of jump into our first topic, uh, P&W District Meet number three. Uh, so it was uh, Friday and Saturday, January 15th and 16th, uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, Scott normally runs uh, our statistics, and of course he did again this past weekend, but he also got a chance to uh, Quizmaster. Uh, so how was how was that? Uh, how many quizzes did you get to Quizmaster, and how was that like? I did four. Cool. <clears throat> it was fun. I really like Quizmastering. That's one of my favorite things. I think Quizmastering and coaching um, a really strong team, like a internationals or a great West kind of team, those are probably my favorite things in quizzing. Yeah, indeed. Well, any sort of uh, general thoughts or reaction about Meet 3? Um, not a whole lot. I, we had the same, roughly the same number of quizzers, the exact same number of teams as the first two meets. Um, nothing really stood out in the scoring. There weren't any big shifts in anything. Um, I think virtual quizzing is a really good stopgap uh, because it keeps interest um, and it keeps people participating, but it really doesn't provide that same level of reward and accountability that a physical meet would provide. And so I think just overall I'm seeing um, lower material knowledge than you would have in a normal Matthew or narrative year. But I think that's completely to be expected, and I'm pretty happy that we have as many quizzers as we do continuing to work on the material. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, the <laughs> motivations are a little bit smaller. Um, it's a lot more difficult to differentiate yourself at the higher levels as well, I would think, because, you know, I mean, certainly you, if you have everything memorized perfectly, it's, I think, harder to get your jumps as precisely um, as you would get it if, and versus an in-person meet. So it's harder to disambiguate sort of the upper echelon of quizzers. We have a much smaller number of quizzers involved. And so that generally makes things a little bit more difficult in terms of being able to distinguish yourself from, uh, from the pack as well. So um, all of those things kind of play together. Um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, virtual quizzing is regrettable. It's definitely not a substitute for in-person quizzing, but at least is a, a stopgap measure to sort of keep us from complete collapse until we can come back together again. That said, I'm, I'm still, I remain optimistic that, uh, maybe not this next meet, but, but maybe by March we'll be able to do in person again. I, I'm not, I mean, I, I don't want to set a specific date and say like, I think it's going to be here, but I think it's more like a sort of a sliding scale of probability. Um, I am still very confident that, you know, internationals will be in person, uh, and happen. Um, I'm, I'm well over 90% confident that that's going to be the case. I just don't know with any sort of degree of certainty when, you know, between now and July, when are things going to go back to normal? I'm not really sure exactly. Um, so I'm just kind of watching things. I'm, there are things that make me more hopeful some days and less hopeful some days. Um, but I'm still sort of thinking Marchy Marchish is kind of like where I'm kind of thinking, but, uh, we'll just kind of see and, and play it by ear. So, so stay tuned there. Any sort of thoughts about the stats that came out of the meet at this point? Boy, I don't, I don't really think so, but I, th I mean, I think, so we've talked in the past how, at least I have a theory that the, that a district just will naturally ebb and flow because when you get a bunch of really good upperclassmen, they kind of crowd out the, the middle class of quizzers and make it harder to 
get that motivation and encouragement loop going from getting questions right. But then when that large group graduates, the district as a whole might be weaker, but it's a lot easier to get that motivation loop going and you see quizzers kind of advance um, more quickly. Um, And I think there is definitely an opportunity for the latter right now, just because numbers are down and material knowledge is down for a quizzer that does want to put in just a little bit of extra work beyond what they're doing now. I think they could see a large payoff in score because I saw um, some fairly slow jumping in prelims Um, among one jumps. I saw not the greatest material knowledge, even on like finishing quote questions. And so I think there's just, there's definitely opportunity for someone to be, to know a little bit more material, be able to jump 5% faster and just be able to quote better. And I think they could double their scores. Right. And I'm talking quizzers who are averaging a 10 could average a 20 or 20 could average a 40, um, or 30 could maybe not double, but get up into that 50 range without a ton of extra work. And I think that that's, I like those environments. I think you can see a lot of growth. Yeah, indeed. Well, our next meet is off into February. Um, so uh, we'll have another five, six chapters. I forget, I forget offhand how, uh, what the schedule uh, calls for. So definitely be uh, pushing yourself over the next uh, month or so to get those chapters memorized and get ready and prepped for the meet coming up in February, district meet number four. And with that, we'll move on to some of the quiz questions that got marked or ideas that came out of questions from district meet number three. Scott, you have a few that you want to jump through, right? Yep. And I've only kind of put a minimum level of detail here. So you will be mostly hearing these for the first time, which I think is a cool way to do this. Cool. So the first one is from Matthew 1410. It is an interrogative question, and it was, who had John who had John beheaded in prison? And the required answer is, um, from the card, was the king. So 149 says, the king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded, and put, beheaded in the prison. So the king was the answer. Well, the quizzer jumped um, <clears throat> and said, Herod. And at that point, I just waited. And then the quizzer said, Herod the Tetrarch. And then the quizzer said, Herod the King. And I would like to hear what you would have ruled at that point. Hmm. Okay. So I would rule them correct. And here's why. I think they were correct when they were more specific than the king. Um, Because the king in in 14.9 is referring to Herod. They said Herod versus the king. They are more precise than just saying the king. They are not incorrect and it fully answers the question right well it fully answers the question that was on the card or or the requirements of the card right um the i think you did exactly the right thing and i would i would hope that i would do the same thing in the same situation of saying of not counting them correct at that point but giving them the remainder of their 30 seconds to sort of declarify their answer to the king, uh, as it were, right? Um, so give them the chance to to say the king, um, but they are but they are fully correct at the point of Herod. So if they start with the king, and let's let's take let's make it you know a, a much more egregious you know scenario. Let's say they say the king, or sorry, no no no, the answer is the king. They say Herod, right? And then they pause, and then they say Satan, right? Well, Satan is a wrong answer. And if they said Satan first and then said Herod or the king or whatever, right, they're they're wrong because they were wrong first, right? Um, and so, you know, in, in that regard, if they say Herod and then Satan, you would think, well, Satan's a wrong answer. But I would argue they were right before they were wrong if Herod... If, if if all they ever say is Herod, and then their time elapses, I'm going to count them correct. Therefore, they're correct before they're incorrect. Does that make sense? It does. But I I did a very different thing. Interesting. Okay. So, so first off, when they said Herod, they are definitely not incorrect. Um, so that is one of the two requirements to be able to continue answering. You have to be in context, and you have to be not incorrect. And the quizzer was both of those things in this case, because the king was Herod, <clears throat> But I think the required the fact that Herod is more specific is actually irrelevant because I need specifically the king. Um, it doesn't matter that there is a different description of the king elsewhere in context. This is the answer that I need. And they haven't given it to me. So then the quizzer, after saying Herod, continued and said Herod the Tetrarch. 
And I ultimately ruled that that took them out of context to verse one, and they were incorrect at that point. Even though, so they were not incorrect because Herod the Tetrarch is who beheaded John in the prison, um, but they that took them out of context, and then they got the correct answer at the king too late. Okay. Yeah, I think I disagree. I think if they had said Herod the Tetrarch first, and that was their the actual answer, right? It wasn't wasn't like Herod pause Herod the Tetrarch. I think I would agree. It takes them out of context, even though they're providing the right answer, right? Um, because you know it's a, th- uh, a three word phrase clearly puts them out of context. Sure, I I I I can agree with that. I, I don't th- I don't think we would take this logic and apply it elsewhere, right? If somebody provides a specific list, um, or, or, or not a list, if somebody provides a more specific answer to something that is a, only requires a less specific answer. Um, I think we, we can accept that. I mean, it's essentially, we would accept a synonym. Uh, so why would we not accept a more specific, sorry, a more specific answer to a less specific required answer. So I'm trying to think of the clearest order to go into this. So let's, let's just skip real quick to pronouns. So I think if the answer is he, and the clarification is Jesus, we, we don't require the quizzer to have said he to be counted correct, right? Right. They can just say Jesus and they're correct. I think there, you could argue that the quizzer has to both say he and Jesus. Um, I think that would be, a little bit nitpicky, but I think you could make that argument. Um, but here, I don't just see it as like, I mean, the fact that Herod is a more like specific and descriptive answer to me doesn't really matter because King is like a different descriptor for this person. Like I need this descriptor. Uh, see, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't agree. I think, I think Herod and the King are synonymous. But we only know that because we know about Herod. Like if a quizzer sure. says Herod, there's nothing about that answer that implies he's the king or that states he's the king. So that's mm. like not included now in the answer. Uh, okay. But I mean, yeah, but there's lots of examples of that in quizzing. I mean, I, certainly we, we say we don't want to, uh, you know, encourage interpretation, right? We don't want to require interpretation, but there's sort of, you know, what, who does he refer to, you know, kind of stuff. Um, when we talk about Jesus's mother, you know, it may not say within context that that was Mary, but if somebody says Mary, uh, you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to count them incorrect. I, I think, I don't know. I think this kind of falls under the sort of the, t- the, the, the synonyms clauses of the rule book, unless but there's some, something that, that we can specifically disambiguate it from that or, or say there, there's something that requires us to go higher than that. They're not synonyms. Like they didn't give, like it, they're correct when they, their answer contains the information requested. And my information requested is the king. Hmm. It's not Herod. Okay. You're not, t- you're not, I'm not, I'm not asking you to tell me like the meaning of the person, right? If the yeah. answer is the city and we know that the city is Jerusalem and it's stated in context, the quiz are saying Jerusalem doesn't mean that they're right yet. They have to say the city. Interesting. I see your point of view. Um, I don't think I agree. All right. Well, this is a rarity. I mean, yeah. I think, um, my dividing line is pronoun versus non-pronoun, right? So like yeah. any them, that, it, he, she, like you don't need to state that before you get to the more specific thing that is the clarification. But in these cases where it's just a less, a less descriptive um, answer versus a more descriptive answer, like the one that I asked for is the one that I need. Um, <clears throat> and I don't think you get to pick and choose. Yeah, fair enough. I just think, I, I mean, I see where you're coming from and I see the argument. I just don't think it jives with everything else in quizzing. I think in general, if you have something that is a more specific answer, it, it is, and any less specific answer is is required that the more specific answer isn't wrong right um and it's and it not w- wrong it's no it's but that's the difference like yeah sure, I agree sure. That okay it's not wrong it's not correct though yes you're saying it it isn't correct enough right it isn't it isn't correct. it isn't it isn't enough correct to count you correct. And I think it is, right? I think in every instance in quizzing where we have a a, a less specific required answer and somebody provides something that is more specific but not wrong, I, I think they're fine. Now, the arrow doesn't work the other direction, obviously, right? Um, if I require... Uh, a something very specific and you provide me something non-specific you are not wrong yet but you are not yet correct um so to me like i see where you're coming from with the, the herod the king 
you know, example, but I'd, I'd want there to be something like explicitly in the rule book about this before I felt comfortable, like ruling that way. I just think the information requested is different. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, you're, you're, you're latching on to that part of the rule book. And I think I'm latching on to a different part uh, that talks about synonyms. Right. But I don't think Herod and King are synonyms. Yeah, fair enough. Those and are, I think those are, those are, those are different to me. Those are like, because they're like, you're, you're talking about a hierarchy of information, right? More specific, mm. less specific. And sure. I think if you're on a different level of specificity, then you're not talking about synonyms. Yeah. But I mean, again, let's take the pronoun example, right? Um, if let's say the answer is he, right? And he refers to Jesus. And let's say we do not ask for a pronoun clarification, right? Um, now I think we ought to, and I, I think in a future version sure. of the rule book, we should, we should get to a point where we're, we're mandating, uh, question writers require pronoun clarifications under some very specific situations. Um, so, you know, sure there, 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 there is that sort of side issue there, but for now it's not required. Right. Um, if, if somebody says Jesus and not he, we count them correct. And there's nothing in the rule book that provides for that. Right. And so that's why I think you could argue that the quizzer also has to provide the he, because that's like a, a conduit to the clarification. Okay. I but, can see, again, I can see that argument, but we don't do it that way. And to me, in the absence of, of rule book text that disambiguates it, uh, I want to say that it's, it's a, it's a synonymous situation to uh, the pronoun, uh, a non-required pl- uh, pronoun clarification. Sure. But I think... I mean, the thing is, in a pronoun clarification, the clarification is is really the answer, right? That's like sure, the key sure. piece of information. Whereas in mine, I think the key piece of information is what's written on the card yeah, and not the, the clarification specifically. Sure, sure. But in my example, I'm talking about a pronoun that's not required to be clarified. And we would absolutely accept the clarified answer without requiring the going back and declarifying, right? Similarly, oh. I, I think I, I think the same thing is 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 existing here. But again, I mean, I, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree so we can get on to other topics. Sure. But yours is definitely an interesting scenario where it's written without the required pronoun, without a required pronoun clarification. So the card right. just says he and the quizzer says Jesus, and it is the same person, but I'm left as the quiz master to say, like, I know they're not wrong, but, you know, are they right? Because Jesus literally doesn't exist on my card. Sure. Jesus doesn't exist on your card, but I would be shocked to the extreme if any quiz master counted them incorrect. Right. But, and I agree with you, but just the fact that right now we don't require the quizzer to say both the pronoun and the clarification. And also the fact that you would, that both of us would be shocked if a quiz master didn't count them right when they said Jesus doesn't mean that that's the correct procedure based on the rule book. Right. Exactly. The rule book is, is absent. Therefore I follow, you know, as much of a precedent in the rule book as I can rather than making something more stringent. I mean, ultimately, I'm looking for excuses to count a quiz master, or sorry, not a quiz master. I'm looking for excuses to count a quizzer correct anyway, um, rather than looking for excuses to count them incorrect. Sure. But I just said, like, I need this descriptor, and I didn't get it. Yeah, fair enough. I, I hear where you're coming from. I think that isn't in the rule book yet. Interesting. But one thing that is like an offshoot of this is the deity rule, right? Because the deity rule says that um, when there is a special name of the deity, the quizzer may not state other such names of the deity, which are not in context. But the current rule book doesn't say why, like doesn't say specifically why the quizzer is wrong. It is implied by the quizzer may not state other such names, which are not in context, that it is a going out of context issue. But it doesn't really say that, right? Mm. And so, you, so it's kind of like an extra thing, a special thing in the deity rule to count a quizzer wrong that is separate from them either being incor- giving incorrect information or going out of context. Now, when we rewrote the rule, oh, there is an example that says, even though these terms refer to the same person, if the quizzer substitutes one for the other, they would be out of context and called incorrect. And so I think because of that in the rule book rewrite, um, which is being reviewed by all of you at the moment, um, we just wrote it right into the rule book that just says when there's a special name, 
the special name must be given. If the quizzer states any other special name, which are not in context, the quizzer will be considered to have not stayed in context. And it's very clear, like, what the grounds are. But I just thought it interesting that the current rulebook is not is not quite as clear on that. Yeah, indeed. So the next one is from Matthew fourteen twelve. It's a chapter verse reference, multiple answer. John's disciples came and what? Um, with the answer being, took his body and buried it. Well, the quizzer jump jumped at John's disciples K, um, and then they answered the rest of the question, were prompted for the question, and they said, John's disciples what? What would you hmm. have ruled? Oh, okay. So the quizzer, so you got the first part of the word came out, not the whole Correct. bit. Did the quizzer... I guess it doesn't really matter. Just as, just as a matter of curiosity, did the quizzer say that back to you? Um, they When they answered, they started at the beginning and quoted um, through. But okay, they didn't, so, but, but, yeah. but they didn't like stop where you stopped or anything. R- correct. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that they heard John's disciples and didn't hear the, the third word, um, even though you began I'm, I'm, t- to say it. I'm pretty sure they did because it was 80% complete or so. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, and I, I'm, I, I asked that only, I asked that only from a, uh, what's a, I asked that only from a curiosity standpoint. I don't think it really matters. Um, yeah, I think it matters what you said, but I don't think it matters what they heard or actually, I don't even think it matters what you said either. But, um, anyway, so going back to your actual yes, question. I agree with that. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, going back to this. Um, okay, John's disciples. What? Um, I'm torn on this one. Um, I think I think there is in the current rulebook some ambiguity around what it means to to have a question that's the same as what's on the card. So I think. Because came and took his body and buried it is a multiple answer. So, and it, um, you said this was a multiple answer chapter reference, right? Chapter verse reference. Chapter verse reference. Okay. Um, actually, actually, no, it was a chapter reference. Chapter reference, okay. multiple answer. Okay. Um, I would, I think I would count them correct, but I, but I am not a hundred percent confident that I'm right about that. I would want to recheck the rule book to be a hundred percent sure. The my reasoning behind this is that John's disciples what gives the same requires the same answer that was stated and it is the same question type it is a multiple answer chapter reference question um, so I think that's my reasoning but I'm I don't feel hundred percent confident that that's right so I wrote them right because I said they gave me a question of the exact same type chapter reference multiple answer. And the total information was the exact same, which I realize is not in the current rule book. And then I also said, since I have no idea what determining reference word or phrase is, I'm not using it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I can't. So like, the, and, and, and then the final point is the fact that I had started the came and it should have been obvious that it is included in my question is irrelevant. Agreed. <laughs> it just yeah, matters yeah, I, whether yeah. they give me something. Like if I start reading a, a question the shadow of and the quizzer gives me the question what shadow well if it retains the same type you have to count them right even though like if you're a quizzer you might as well just start with what the quiz master said (laughs) and give yourself that advantage but ultimately that that is not part of my ruling yeah i i agree i agree and this actually reminds me of why uh, uh, you know this is a rule book bug we talked about you know a few episodes ago and have destroyed this rule book bug in the rewrite um there is no such thing as determining word or phrase in the in the rewrite um right but it reminded me of actually of another scenario which is much more squirrely and i'm just gonna have to make something up so why don't you flip to matthew 8 1 okay um let's let's say hypothetically my question this will not be a reference question, but it was, and the specific type doesn't matter. But let's say my question was, um, came down from the mountainside when, and I know that that's terrible structurally, but just go with it. Um, and I read the whole question before there was a jump and the quizzer jumped and kind of muttered, came down from the mountainside when, and then quoted the verse was prompted for their question and said, came down from where. And so my question is when a quizzer just like jumped, Actually, no, sorry. L- let's say my question was, who came down from the mountainside? 
And I was half, I had said mountain. So I was like, question number four, question, who came down from the mountain? The quizzer jumped and kind of muttered, who came down from the mountainside? When Jesus came down from the mountainside and said, what is your question? And they said, came down from where? So the crux of my question is when a quizzer just jumps and then kind of says something that could be construed to be in the form of a question, do I, should I always accept that as the question they are providing or should I never accept it as the question that they are providing? Okay. Let me rephrase your question to make sure I'm answering what you're asking. Cause I, I want to make sure I'm asking uh, your, I, I want to make sure I am understanding what you're asking. Are you saying that you as a quiz master should or should not interpret whether a quizzer is mumbling or providing information to you? Um, it is kind of that, but it's kind of also clouded by the fact that reference questions are weird and that we like prompt for a specific for, we prompt for something formatted a specific way. But when it is a interrogative led reference question, the quizzer can kind of just be repeating what they heard and then tack on the final word of the question necessary without really meaning to have provided it as their question, you know, cause they might just say like, who was there? But that might be my whole question, you know? <laughs> right. And I just, I feel uncomfortable interpreting it as like, what is your question? Who was there? You are correct. But I also sure. feel uncomfortable saying like, you needed to state it only after my prompt. What, what, Cause that's not a thing. Right. Or like in a more questiony tone. Right. So, so let me, let me answer this and actually share something that happened in my room this past quiz meet that relates to this, um, with, that made me very nervous and then relieved. Um, so, uh, okay. I think it is, it is a, a dragon. There be dragons. If we ever have a quiz master try to interpret whether a quizzer is mumbling, answering, providing us a question, um, trying to remember something quoting versus answering, right. All of those things. I think, I think, I think there be dragons, right. Um, it, it's very dangerous. It's a slippery slope. The best thing is to just say whatever the quizzer says, uh, whatever. And actually it's not even about what they say, whatever the quiz master hears is the response. Um, and that's it. Right. So if a quiz master inadvertently like, um, you know, let's say you, you, it's an interrogative and it, they jump and they don't remember the answer and they're kind of mumbling. They're trying to remember and they in, inadvertently answer the question, even though they're utterly in their mind thinking I'm trying to remember and I'm not answering right now. Um, and maybe this is the answer and they kind of mumble it in the, uh, you know, out loud. And they're like thinking, is that the right answer? I don't remember. And they inadvertently get it correct. Right. As a quiz master, I'm calling them correct, even though they inadvertently said it correct. Right. They, they weren't intending to answer, but they got it right. Similarly, if they, if they jump and they're just trying to remember, they're not, they're not thinking that they're answering and they inadvertently say something wrong. They are incorrect. Um, and that is a little on the harsh side, but I think you have to do it that way because otherwise the quiz master has to put on this interpretation hat of like, I heard something. It is incorrect. What I heard now I have to interpret this massively subjective, you know, point of view kind of thing of were they answering or just mumbling or, you know, like there be dragons galore, uh, like, like crazy. So in my room, this past me, uh, there was somebody who, uh, jumped on a, a and I, I remember the specific quizzer, but I won't say his name. Anyway, he jumped on an answer. He at first didn't remember the answer and started to provide me commentary on his answer right? Like he's literally saying things like, I don't remember. I think it's in this chapter and it's around the part where they said blah. And he started quoting the blah, right? Fortunately, when he was saying those things, the, the blah that he was quoting was in context, fortunately. Right. Um, and, and of course I can't say anything, but I'm, I'm like screaming in my head at the time, like, please stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> like, like, please don't inadvertently say something that will cause me to force a, like, like, please don't say anything inadvertently that forces me to count you incorrect. Right. Um, and fortunately he ended up figuring things out in his head 
why through the process of talking he never said anything that was out of context or incorrect and then he said the correct answer so i was able to count him correct but it was a very very dangerous moment for him because it could have been very easy for him to say something that was like yeah you're out of context or or that is an answer i have to take that as an, your answer because i think the alternative is is deeply dangerous right um and ultimately if we make that interpretational opportunity there a quizzer can then turn around and challenge to say well i wasn't answering you i was mumbling trying to figure out where i was you shouldn't have uh, counted me incorrect and of course that opens up the answering period to all kinds of gamification and and that's a bad thing so anyway um i think i think ultimately if a quizzer as weird as it's going to make us feel if a quizzer inadvertently says a question to a reference question correctly even if they're utterly unintending to i think we i think we have to count them correct right and that would make my ruling um incorrect because when they were just merely repeating my question and then adding another word or two they did say the sequence of words that was the required reference question um <clears throat> which is an interesting case for sure but i th- i totally agree with you um we probably should add an issue for future discussion on um, like what do we do with quizzer personal commentary while they're answering right Right. the quizzer's like what is it Hmm, what is it was I'm not sure I'm not sure is it here is it there like is that just wrong like are you not allowed to say anything that's not in the material without being counted incorrect immediately Um, and if that's not as harsh as I mean if that feels too harsh what else do we do right I think that's it because I totally agree that the quizmaster can't be interpreting what the quizzer is meaning. Um, and one scenario I just thought of is, let's say the reference question is who was there and you've read who was and the quizzer jumps. And then they're like, Hmm, who was here? Who was here? Who was here? Who was here? Well, it feels harsh, but they are wrong at that point. And it doesn't matter if they're just like trying to jog their memory of the material and not intending to provide the reference question, but they would be wrong at that point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what a horrible question, but yes, I agree. Right, right. All right. So that one was interesting as well. Um, so then the last one, I, we'll see if it's more or less interesting. So from Matthew twelve twenty two, there was a question, who was blind and mute? With the answer being a demon-possessed man. And the quizzer jumped after who was blind had been read and said who was, and while trying to jog their memory, said who was blind and deaf? And I'm just wondering if you think the quizzer is incorrect at that point. Okay, so um, so the question is, who was blind and mute? The answer, a demon-possessed man. And they said, who was blind and deaf before providing a demon-possessed man? Right. So, like, remove the fact that they're not correct yet and any amount of time. Like, do you think they are incorrect at the point that they said, um, was blind and deaf? I don't believe they are incorrect yet. Um so well, let me let's think about flip this. It. If the interrogative is a demon-possessed man who is blind and what? And the quizzer said deaf. They're wrong, right? They're wrong. Yeah. So they sh- so then they shouldn't be they don't get a pass in this scenario just because it's not the one word required in the answer. I think you are correct. And that's why like it feels way le- it feels way more harsh when the quizzer said 99 words that are correct and then one incorrect word as opposed to those 99 words being in the question. And then the one word that they say incorrect is the answer. Like that one feels, oh, of course they're wrong. Um, But I just think like something is incorrect or not. And it doesn't matter how much correct stuff is surrounding it, right? Yeah, and I think you're right because, I mean, it it feels wrong and it feels harsh. But the thing is, if they, if you say who, well, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me go back to your original question. Did you say who was blind and mute? Or did you say who was blind and then they jumped? Correct. The latter. Okay. So you, who, who was blind and then they jumped and then they said who was blind and deaf, uh, who was blind and mute, a demon-possessed man. That's sort of the sequence? Right. Yeah. I. It feels harsh, but I think they're incorrect. Um, now, if you said mute and they said deaf, then I'm thinking the opposite. <laughs> Right. Well, um, <laughs> I thought I thought we have agreed on a past episode that just because a quizmaster has said it does not lock 
that amount of the answer in as yeah. not not grounds for being incorrect. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, that is true. Yeah, but it made me go back to the original point. I mean, I, it feels harsh and it might be, but I think it's the only way to interpret it because, I mean, we require the word mute uh, to be provided if you didn't say it. Uh, therefore, yeah, if they say deaf, I think they're they're incorrect, even if they go back and and fix it to uh, mute because they're they're two different things. Correct. And the the key point is how incorrect deaf is compared to mute. Looking at the verse before, a bruised reed he will not break. If they said a bruised reed he will not destroy, well, the, the destroy and break are not super different, right? So I I totally think that in that case it's fine to let the quizzer continue answering to try to get to break, right? right. But like mute and deaf are like different, <laughs> right? Right. Um, and that's like the key point. It's not, and it's not just looking for a way to count a quizzer wrong. It's like this is very incorrect information that they have provided here. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Those are my three. All right. Well, so my three, um, which are probably going to be vastly less interesting. And I haven't looked at these since I marked these questions uh, a couple of days ago. So uh, we'll see if I can remember. So the first one comes from Matthew chapter eight, verse six. It is a chapter reference uh, question and or sorry, a chapter verse reference uh, question. Uh, according to Matthew chapter eight, verse six, my servant, what? And the answer on the card is lies at home paralyzed and i marked it saying is this well or i just said incomplete with a question mark um and i'm wondering if the question is that is written is incomplete in the sense of saying so so eight uh chapter eight verse six reads lord he said my servant lies at home paralyzed comma suffering terribly and if I were writing this question and I wrote it as a chapter verse reference and I wrote my servant what, I would absolutely include the suffering terribly portion uh, on the uh, on the card. Uh, it was not on the card. So when the quizzer answered, and I believe actually the, the, the quizzer answered with everything, they, they, they answered with lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly, and I counted them correct, right? Now, let's say they didn't answer suffering terribly, right? Let's say they just got lies at home paralyzed and then ran out of time. I think I would be required to count them correct because that was what was on the card, even though I think the answer really ought to include suffering terribly. So I don't know, Scott, what do you think about this one? Yeah. So I think if I'm a question writer, I think it's a better question to include the suffering terribly as part of the answer. It's still an interrogative. There's kind of two descriptors, but the way the question is phrased, my servant what, this is, it is a single answer. So I think it is a better question to include the suffering terribly. But as a quiz master, while I do think a quiz master has the, um, the ability and the responsibility to change um, a question if, if they think it is necessary, I think that that burden has to be super high. The bar has to be super high. And to me, this doesn't meet it. So if lies at home paralyzed is all that's written as the required answer, I am not changing this as the quiz master. Um, if the question was my servant what and the answer is lies and just that, I might say even in the moment, I think this really should require more than just lies. But to me, those have to be fairly egregious um, cases if I'm going to be changing the amount of required information in the answer as a quiz master. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you would not, would you consider, so let's say, let's, let's put the quiz master hat aside for a second. Let's say you're a, a question writer right now, looking at this question, the way it was written on the card lies at home paralyzed and does not include suffering terribly. Would you consider that a valid question? Like to me, it, it, it's arguably the same thing as saying lies. I mean, I think it's, it's, basically valid to say lies, but egregiously incomplete, right? Um, so I think not including suffering terribly isn't egregiously incomplete, but I still think it's incomplete. Sure. But I'm not changing that as a quiz master. Like, yeah, yeah. Fair like, enough. Fair enough. V valid doesn't talk about any mention of like any notion of completeness, right? If, yeah. if you have a, a 20 item list and I just write my question to include the first 19 of them, that's still valid. I've written a dumb question, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. 
All right, so the next one comes from chapter 16, verse 22, and it is an interrogative. And the question on the card was, this shall never what happen to you? Uh, and you is required to be clarified to Lord. And I wrote on, I, I, I marked this in the moment and uh, saying, can Lord be required? And on subsequent looking at this uh, question just now, uh, clearly the answer is yes, it can be required. And not only can it be required, I think in a not too distantly future rule book, not the current one that we're looking at, because this would not be functional equivalent, but I think maybe in V2 or 3, uh, I think this will actually be required to be clarified uh, based on our, our pronoun clarification uh, requirements for question writers. So this one's not at all interesting. I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't disagree with anything I just said. I don't, but um, I do think like, I remember Jeremy talking like, well, what is the point of the answer? Well, the question is like, this shall what never happened to you? Well, it's kind of like the verb never the verbing, if you will, the never happened is more of the answer. And you is also there. And I think it is definitely useful to require that clarification, but I don't think it should ever be required for it to be written um, as a required clarification. Uh, and additionally, you could say that this is slightly less clear of a clarification, like the order of the verse. It is, I, I think it is clear, like never Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Um, but there is some amount of interpretation required, um, and it is more interpretation required than if the text said something like, Peter took him aside and he said, you know, he referring to, like, that's a lot clearer of a path. Um, so I think there are going to be pronoun clarifications where we're not comfortable with the implied nature of it um, when we require the clarification. Um, so if it's too implied, then we may not require it. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And then my third one is a situation question. It comes from chapter 16, verse 6. And I need uh, who said it to whom? Actually, no. You know what? This one's dumb. Um, okay. Well, actually, okay. It's both dumb of me to mark this for editing, but it actually kind of leads into a question about style and reading patterns. Okay, so I remember this one. So the situation question, as written on the card, asks the question, who said it to whom and to whom, right? So who said it to whom and to whom, which feels wonky to me uh, because I always say it, who said it uh, and to whom was it said or something along those lines, right? Or who said it to whom, right, is generally like I, how I would write those kind of questions. However, the way it is written on this particular card is totally valid. It's completely fine. There are no punctuation errors. There's nothing wrong with it. But when I said it this way, as it was written on the card, it felt weird. And so it kind of leads me into a, should there be a question writing guideline that says exactly how we would ask for things on situation questions or, or it, just to standardize it so that we don't have kind of weird. Well, we normally say it this one way, but in this case, we, we asked for it in a different way. So I think the question as written is actually slightly incorrect because it just, it, it says who said it to and to whom. So I think there was just a mistake in the writing of it. Um, cause it doesn't say who said it to whom and to whom it just says who said it to, right and to whom. So I think it's a mistake. Um, but I think some amount of standardization is good on these, but I, I don't need something sp too specifically enforced. Like I'm fine if a quizzer can, if a quiz master can say who said it and to whom, or if they can say who said it and to whom was it said. Um, I'm fine with either of those. And I don't, I really can't recall, um, ways that quiz masters have introduced this that I disliked or think shouldn't happen. I know that, um, there's a quiz master who would introduce an FTV by saying, by occasionally saying it's a finish this verse. And I found that confusing because we have a question type that is a finish this. And so just kind of like chaining those two words in a type that was not a finish this to me was confusing. So like I would be in favor of, you can't say that you need to say finish the verse. But to me, that's a specific reason. Whereas on situation questions, as long as the quizzer knows, like, I mean, you have to say who and to whom or why or how. 
um, or when. And I don't know if there's too many ways to say that confusingly. Right. And I mean, you basically need a verb in there. So like, like ideally, I would love to say who comma whom, but it's like, well, no, you need a verb. So like who said, and then, well, who said it just otherwise, because who said seems weird. So who said it and to whom was it said or who said it and to whom, right? Um, But yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't, the, the OCD part of me wants to have them all standardized, but I just don't think the value is significant in going through that effort. I don't either. And I wouldn't want a quiz master messing it up by one little word to be grounds for like tossing out a question. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This would be purely a guideline, nothing that could be challenged. Oh, like, well, I mean, if we're just laying down non-challengeable guidelines, I think there's definitely a, you know, a best practice target that you could write, um, to be clearest, but I wouldn't Hmm. want something to be completely hard and fast. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Let's see what's next on our list here. Um, oh, so there are a couple, a couple cases where I saw, um, the answer might've been it with a clarification, but the answer was just written as the clarification. And I think question writers need to always write the pronoun and then with the clarification, however you denote it when you're writing, when you were writing questions, because the quiz master has to know that they can prompt for something. Um, cause I don't think a quiz master can prompt for a pronoun clarification if the pronoun doesn't exist. Right. So if the answer, if the question is, um, who died for our sins? And the answer is Jesus. And the quizzer quotes, he died for our sins. I don't think the quiz master can say, can you clarify he? Because he doesn't exist in the text there. And if we're going, and do you agree with that, by the way? Actually, no. Um, so, well, okay. So I agree with your first part and I disagree with your second part. I, I think I, I totally agree that it is better um, that a question should have the text that is verbatim from the verse and anything that you want clarified should then be, you know, written in brackets for, for notation for being clarified, right? Like, like, like there, there should, you should not write your answer as the clarification. You should write the answer that is the text with the clarification there, because, uh, otherwise it is a bit confusing to, uh, the, the quiz master. I think it's, it's way more clear, right. To, to have that be the way it's, it's written. Um, but that said, I think the if if you know if if the answer is Jesus and the quizzer says he, I think absolutely I'm I'm going to call the for a clarification. Um, I want to as a quiz master, but I think it is unsustainable to require that of quiz masters because you have to decide on the fly if the pronoun provided fits. So yeah, let's say that's easy. Mm, let's say the answer is prophets, and the quizzer says us or them or you or you all or it. You have to decide in that instant whether or not that's a valid pronoun for the noun that you need. Sure, I don't know and, that that's a big deal. Mm, I I don't I just I I don't think that that there's a parallel for what the quizmasters is ever doing to provide prompts. They're just looking for um, a specific amount of information before prompting for something. And I think this mm. is a very different um, mental calculus that we're, we would now be asking the quiz master to do because, and see, my problem is if the quizzer's time is still going and they provide a pronoun and then the quiz master prompts for clarification of that pronoun, if that prompt could then be construed as confusing in any way, um, that's grounds for just tossing out the question. Well, sure. But let's say, let's say the, the text is he and the, the clarification is Jesus and the quizzer said the word it, right? Um, I'm going to count them incorrect. I'm not going to ask them to clarify. Sure. But I think this is also a very squirrely topic, just like um, how do we handle quizzer commentary, personal commentary when they're on the stage? Another sure. one is pronouns, because oftentimes the answers, the answer just includes nouns, and a quizzer might just be throwing out pronouns that if you kind of throw on the interpretation of the pronoun that they provided, it is incorrect. You know, especially like us versus them. Quizzers will often like mix up those words or just throw one that based on the text is referring to a completely different group of people than what's required in the answer. And it always just feels like a lot for me to call them wrong right when they say a pronoun that that 
refers that or that would refer to the wrong group of people. But I'm totally on board with, you know, if you if you think that the the best practice is to do that interpretation as the quiz master and then make your ruling. Yeah, I think I think I think the the quiz master interprets in the moment, makes a ruling. There's a challenge process, you know, if if it's something is you know, ambiguous or, or whatever. You, you, I, I, to me, it feels like that, that could be something that can be worked out in the challenge process. I, I have no problems counting somebody incorrect. If they should say he, Jesus, and they say it, I, I, I have no problem counting them incorrect at, at that point. Interesting. Um, now one big difference though, is I don't think the timing of that matters, right? So a quizzer can say a pronoun and you can take your time deciding whether or not you feel that it was incorrect. Whereas in, in the previous, if, a, if, if a quizzer provides a pronoun and you you think you need to make that interpretation and prompt them for the clarification, you have to make that call in a split second. That's true. But here's the other thing. You prompting them doesn't negate the fact that they were wrong beforehand, right? So, like, I mean, this would be a very, very weird situation, but let's no, but say it does re- it does require that they were definitively wrong beforehand because i think that there are many pronouns a quizzer or at least a non-zero amount of pronouns that a quizzer could give where they're not really definitively wrong but you then saying can you clarify x this thing that you just said which actually doesn't exist in the text it could be really misleading it could be um i think i think what in i think in that scenario i'm not asking for them to cl- eh, i don't know um that one's more ambiguous. See, I'm um, totally in favor of staying silent, right? Because in essence, it's some man, it's some, you're telling them again or you're staying silent because you're not right yet. Um, yeah. But I just, to me, a quiz master deciding if um, prompting is not misleading in the moment is a lot, which is why I think it should always be written um, in the answer if, if there is a pronoun that has a required clarification. And those are the only scenarios that a quiz master is ever prompting for a pronoun clarification. Because I don't, I think it makes no sense to prompt for a pronoun clarification that doesn't exist. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so, looking at our next item here, wanted to touch on a couple of things that we heard from folks uh, chatting in the Slack channel, the Inside Quizzing Slack channel. By the way, if you're not in the Inside Quizzing Slack channel, you should be because we have some great. Uh, conversations there from time to time. Uh, and we were talking last episode about uh, quizzing heresies, and we got a lot of feedback uh, from our quizzing heresies uh, podcast, which is great. We love getting feedback. Uh, a couple of a couple of things that were mentioned, and I want to just kind of rattle these off, and then you know Scott and I might respond to these things. But uh, the first one, and I'm just kind of quoting these. I don't know who they were from, uh, but one person wrote uh, one major advantage uh, that I think jumping has is the adrenaline. Adrenaline rush. To me, this has a major impact on how well I do, and I just don't think that using a push button would give the same adrenaline. And then somebody responded to that and said, not just the rush, but the physical release from the rush. I've noticed that the tension basically gets bottled up inside during virtual quizzing, uh, basically because there isn't a release of that from the actual physical act of uh, jumping. And then the third... Uh, quote, and it feels more of an, like an accomplishment when you win the jump than when you win the push. So Scott, what do you think about these things? I agree with all of them that those things are true things that occur. But I think then saying these true things that occur are a reason for or against benches and pads or for or against push button quizzing is not the correct line of logic that you should make. I agree with everything you just said, and I also agree with everything that the people posted on Slack. Um, so yeah, I, I agree uh, with the adrenaline uh, comment. I agree with all of the other comments that are there. Um, but and and I, I sort of I, I I think I even responded to one of these things, uh, one of these comments by pointing out like you know clearly I think we all agree unanimously that. Given the option for the quizzer, uh, benches are always in and in every way superior to pads. Uh, and yet, if we sampled, you know, different programs, church programs, district programs, I would be willing to bet dollars to donuts that uh, we're going to have vastly more pads 
uh, in circulation and use than we do benches, right? Um, even though we all agree benches are superior uh, from the perspective of the quizzer, like the quizzer's experience is better. I think the program is better using benches versus pads, but we use pads so frequently and vastly more frequently than benches because of all of the other considerations. Price is one, right? But it's not just price. It's, it's, it's all of the logistics involved, which are substantial. Uh, so, you know, one quizzer pointed out like, well, you know, our district is fair or was it a quizzer? I forget. Somebody, somebody pointed out in the channel, you know, Hey, our district is fairly big. We have, you know, a fund that we've put together to help a, a, a another district that, uh, struggles financially. And we, uh, on occasion, I don't know if it's annually or, or whatever, but they buy, uh, quiz pads, uh, for that district. And that's great. I think that's fantastic. It's great. It's a, it's good that such things are there. It's good that those who are able to help those in need are, are doing their part to help those in need. And, and, and that's great. Um, but the, the, the fact is like sort of the example in that scenario is the district has some extra money. So they buy pads for a seat that's struggling to afford pads and they didn't buy for that district benches, right? The reason is, is because you can buy a set of pads a lot cheaper, number one. Uh, but number two, like the logistics, the, the cost for, you know, those, those pads ongoing for the district that you're buying them for is pretty close to zero unless something breaks, right? Um, with seats, the expense is not, or sorry, with benches, the seats the, sorry, with benches, the, the, the cost of maintenance is non-zero, right? Um, and I, when I mean maintenance, I mean, you know, transport, logistics, storage, everything else, right? Um, and so we favor the inferior solution because there are larger considerations for program effectiveness, right? Similarly, I think the argument in favor of push button, and again, Scott and I are not saying let's switch to push button now. This is, this is we're nobody's saying that, right? If this is really more the idea of, of like questioning the, the adherence to uh, benches or pads uh, and then saying, you know, looking long-term, is it ultimately in quizzing's best interest to stick with benches or pads, or should we consider switching to push button? There are other programs that use, you know, push button and they're doing just fine. Uh, I don't know that it's, I mean, I think there's, there's something cool and interesting about, uh, benches, uh, slash pads, but is it enough to warrant the cost? And I don't mean cost in terms of dollars necessarily, although that's a factor, but cost in terms of everything else. Right. And just like it, when you're trying to pick a material version, um, of the Bible to memorize from asking quizzers, which version do you prefer is probably not the best way to make that decision either. Right. Um, right. Or even asking any person, like you might have, you probably have very strong feelings about what version you would prefer to memorize and why, but there are other factors that probably are more important. Um, and I think quiz jump equipment falls into a similar boat. Now, I mean, and I think it probably, eh, I think the two are probably similar in that regardless of the equipment picked or the version picked, there aren't people choosing to participate based on one or the other, like for the vast majority of people. Right. Um, but if you're making decisions that then make something more, um, accessible for a host of reasons, um, it can make it much easier for people to start quizzing. Right. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So you had one more comment here, um, in the notes. I think you wrote that one, not me, right? Nope. I believe you did. Okay. So now I have to remember what I wrote. The idea of quiz masters intentionally ruling. Oh, I remember what this is. Okay. Yes. I wrote this and I now remember the context. Okay. So on Saturday sometime, uh, I think it was, was it in brackets? I don't remember. Maybe it was still in prelims. I forget exactly when it was, but it was, I think it was on Saturday. Uh, something happened in a quiz and somebody answered and I couldn't quite figure out how I should answer in that moment. And this is probably something that's very much a virtual thing because part of it was I couldn't quite make out what they said because my brain was kind of doing about four things at the same time. I think the quizzer was very clear in what they said. So don't get me wrong. This was, this was a quiz master 
failing, not a quizzer failing in terms of being heard, right? Um, and normally within an in-person scenario, like if that happens, I lean over to my scorekeeper or my answer judge, if I have one and say, did you hear them say blank? Right. Um, or what did you hear them say about this or, or whatever. Right. And, and, you know, the, the quiz math or the, the other officials will usually help me out and everything is fine. Or, you know, I'll have a recording device and I can just consult the recording device, which is what I really should have been doing this last weekend. But again, like I said, Quizmaster failing, right? Um, so in that moment, I don't have a recording device that I can go to. And because we're in virtual, I can't lean I can't lean over to my scorekeeper and say, like, hey, what did they say? Um, now it used to be, what was it, last year, uh, my son was my scorekeeper. And he would usually be in the same room with me. So I would just mute and say, Hey, Xander, what did you hear? And, and that, that solves that problem very quickly. Uh, in this case, uh, my scorekeeper is, I actually, I'm not sure where she is. I, she used to be halfway across the country. I think maybe she's local now, but I honestly have no idea because, you know, Hey, we're virtual. Um, uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't very well easily just lean over and say, Hey, what did you hear? Kind of thing. So in that moment, I decided that I think the quizzer is wrong. I'm pretty sure that they're wrong. I'm, I think like maybe 80% probability that they're wrong, but I can't really be sure. So, and then I started looking at the other quizzers who were there and I was like, okay, if I count this quizzer wrong and, or sorry, if I count this quizzer correct and they're actually wrong, I am guaranteed to get a challenge. So I counted the quizzer correct, even though I thought there was about an 80% chance that they were incorrect, knowing full well, or well, not knowing, expecting with a very high probability that I would be challenged. And sure enough, I was challenged. Uh, and through the challenge process, we worked out like, yeah, she actually was incorrect based on what she said, right? So was I wrong to do that? Was that a devious trick? <laughs> and generally, what are your thoughts about that as a general practice? Well, in general, well, I think you were wrong to do that because I think as a quiz master, you just need to make whatever you think is the best ruling. Hmm. Um, but that is an interesting question because you are basically making the ruling that you thought gave you the highest percentage chance of um, everything ending up as correct as possible. Yes. And that was my thought. Like, like, right. how can I how can I resolve this such that the right resolution is most likely? Right. Um and I, I mean, things could be a little bit different in virtual, but I think in general, I would rather a quiz master make the decision that they think is the best decision if nothing else happened. Yeah. But I don't know if this is a hill that I would die on. Now, you say that through the challenge process, you worked it out. But, like, did you, like, use quizzer, um, quizzer recounting of what they heard as a basis? Because I'm being devil's advocate here, but in the past, you know, it's like, it doesn't really matter what the quizzers heard or what they think they said. It matters what you as the quiz master heard. That is true. And and I, I kind of did use them almost as an arbitrary recording device because I didn't have a recording device myself. And it was really, a, it was really in my head around this thing of, I am pretty sure she said X, but I I don't know. And it's not because she wasn't loud or articulate enough or anything like that. It was purely because my brain was doing three or four things at the same time and I missed what she said. Right. Um, and so like, yeah, I think, I think I generally agree with you. I think it was probably bad form for me to adjudicate it that way. I probably should have just counted her incorrect in hopes that either she or her captain, I think she was the captain, uh, would have challenged. But my my concern is I wasn't 100% confident, and I was pretty sure that if I counted her incorrect and I was wrong, she wouldn't have challenged. But if I counted her correct and she was incorrect, I would have gotten the challenge. And so I think that may have played a factor in my mind. It was It was more around the idea of like, I really want to just make sure that the the ultimate resolution is correct. But you're right. I probably should have just counted her uh, incorrect as best as I based on what I believed to be the case. I just I don't I, I did. I really I really bristled at the notion of counting a quizzer incorrect and not being 100 percent confident that I was right about that call. 
Right, but I think you have to just make the call that you are most confident in. And that's why I have I want to have a recording device and I say that after having Quizmastered without any recording device. Be- but that like I know that I will miss stuff as a Quizmaster and if someone challenges um against my ruling, I need a way to verify it, right? Cuz I'm only yeah. going to make the ruling that I think is right based off of what I heard, but I know that I'm going to be wrong on zero amount of the time and I need a way to verify that. Now, usually um, it's an answer judge that's helping me out, but then beyond that, it would be a challenge and then um, an audio recording. So absent all of those things, um, it does get a lot harder, right? Because as a quiz master, there are totally times where you're like, you know what? I was not fully present and focused for 100% of this 30 seconds, (laughs) right? And that can be all that is necessary for you to miss a key piece of information. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, lesson learned. Record everything, even in virtual. So, all right. We are a little over time, but it was fun. Um, We will uh, very much be eagerly awaiting to hear from you, our listeners, in a variety of forms. We'd like to hear from you via email at our email address, iq at cbqz.org. You can and should follow us on Twitter and, you know, comment at us on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Inside Quizzing, and you can and should uh, chatter away and disagree with us uh, fervently in the Inside Quizzing channel on Slack. And with those things said, I will say thank you all for listening, and thank you, Scott. Thank you, everyone, and thanks, Griffin. <laughs>